turn to First Chronicles chapter 13. We're going to go through 13 and 14 tonight. And we'll see how far we get with that. All right, so here we see David will be bringing back the Ark of the Covenant, back to the nation of Israel, back into Jerusalem, where it really, really does belong. And then, but we're going to see that he's going to kind of get off on the wrong foot in chapter 13 in doing this. And uh, there's a lot in this that we're going to cover tonight. Um, but I think David's heart was in the right spot, but there was a few mistakes he made along the way that I think uh, going into chapter 14 he kind of learned from. So here we see David was trying to do this good deed, bringing this ark back to the nation of Israel, back into the into the uh, city of Jerusalem. And then we see in verse 1, it says that David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, "It it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send our out to our brethren everywhere who are left in all the land. And Israel, and with them the priests and Levites who are in their cities and their common lands, and that, my, uh, that they may gather together to us. And let us bring the ark, uh, ark of our God to us, for he has not inquired, for we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. Then all the assembly said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Now, in verse 1, David made his first mistake. His very first mistake, he said that he consulted with the captains of the thousands and the hundreds and with every leader. Fine, you consulted with your leadership, great. But he should have consulted with God first before he would even do this. I am sure that God would like to bless this ceremony. God would love to see the Ark of the Covenant brought back into Jerusalem, but there were certain things that had to happen in order for him to bring it. And the first thing David forgets to do is to consult the Lord. Lesson for us, we should consult the Lord in everything that we do. No matter how big or how small it is, go to the Lord first before we go to others and, 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 and we, we come up with whatever plan it is for the issues that we're having. So he's bringing back the Ark of the Covenant, which had the manna, the Ten Commandments, Aaron's staff with the, with that budded, right? So he's bringing this back. This is kind of the, a place where they can centralize meeting with God. And it's finally coming back to Jerusalem. But if we do remember in Samuel they kind of used the ark as a uh, as a good luck charm. They would bring it into battle thinking that they were going to win the battle because the ark of the covenant was there with them, but they end up losing the battle to the Philistines. And the Philistines end up taking the ark into their own hands. They were misusing what the ark was. And I think, too, in our lives, we, we have to watch certain things in our lives. This, this Bible can become an idol itself. This church building we're sitting in can become an idol itself or a good luck charm, you know. I want to make sure I take my Bible everywhere I go, but I never read it. Nothing's going to happen. It's not a good luck charm. And the Ark of the Covenant was not a good luck charm. But I think David was right in wanting to bring it back to Israel, bring it back to the people to have that central point of worship 
of, uh, of God, of Jehovah, and, and it was a good thing. He just needed to consult God first before doing this and to get further instructions on what needed to be done in order to bring it. Verse 5 says, So David gathered all of Israel together from Shihar in Egypt to as far as the entrance of Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kerjath Jerim. And David and all of Israel went up to Baalah to Kerath Jerim, which belongs to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, the, uh, God the Lord, who dwells between the cherubim, where his name is proclaimed. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadad, and Uzzah and Ohio drove the cart. Then David and all of Israel played music before God with their might, with singing and harps and string instruments and tambourines on cymbals and with trumpets. So this was a pretty big deal. This is a pretty big celebration bringing the ark back, and rightfully so, because this is definitely the centerpiece of worship for Israel. This is where the Lord's presence was. This is where you can meet with the Lord to worship him and to, and to make offerings to him. And this is, this is the central part of Israel's worship. And it's coming back to where it finally belongs. But one thing, the Lord had warned about how to carry this ark. And it says here that it was carried on a new cart. You don't have to turn there. I'll turn there. But in Numbers 4.15, it reads, And when Aaron, his sons, had finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, then the sons of Kohath shall come to to carry them. But they shall not touch any holy thing, lest they die. These are the things in the tabernacle of the meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. So number one, the sons of Kohath were supposed to carry the ark. We have two other gentlemen that are carrying or driving the ark around in a cart. So that was one, one of their mistakes. It was supposed to be carried. Now it says that they couldn't touch it. If they were to touch it, they were to die. And we'll see in a minute the Lord, you know, he's true to his word. So if they couldn't touch it, how were they going to carry it? There was poles that would go through rings that were connected to the ark, and they would lift them up on their shoulders, and they were carrying them from here and there into every place. So that's how all that worked. But I think about the ark. It should have never been carried on a wagon. It was to be carried on the shoulders of the, the sons of Koath. And why? Because the ark itself could be speaking about Christ and his word and it shouldn't be carried on a cart. It should be carried by men. We carry that gospel to this lost and dying world. We need to carry it to them, not to sit on a cart and drag it around with us. We carry that gospel to them. We carry the word of God to them. We have to pull our load in that. The Lord has given us the gospel to go out and to bring to the people that is dying and hurting. We see this weekend with the shootings. These are some dying and hurting people that are greatly deceived, and they need the gospel, and they need our prayer, both the victim and the one who did the shooting. And God uses us to get the gospel out to other people. We are his foot soldiers to bring this good news to people. And we are to carry that word out, 
not drag it around. So we need to handle the word of God properly, just like the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God was. The presence of God is in this word, just like the Ark of the Covenant. And it was to be carried by the hands of man, not to be carried around on a cart. So we all have to do our part in that. Then we look at Uzzah and Ohio. Now, Uzzah's name meant strength, and Ohio means friendly. And look, I just said that this was a big ordeal with them taking this Ark of the Covenant down. This was a big production. You know, I'm pretty sure David prayed that God would bless this production and bless this trip back into Israel. Obviously, he didn't pray about how to go about it. But we see this all done without inquiring of the Lord on how it should be done. Verse 9, it says, And when they came to Kedon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen had stumbled. So I'm pretty sure there was oxen or something pulling this cart that they were driving. The oxen probably hit a pothole, just like we have here in Louisiana. And the cart went to fall, and the ark went to fall on the ground, and Uzzah stuck his hand out to stop it. Knee-jerk reaction. It happens. Let me stop it. Any of us probably would have done that. Any of us would have tried to stop it. And it says, Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he uh, struck him because he put his hand on the ark, and he died there before God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah before the uh, place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. A couple things that Uzzah did that was not good. He didn't trust God to take care of the ark. This ark was precious to God. This ark is where his presence was. The Lord will take care of the ark, but yet he stuck his hand out there. Uzzah also erred in thinking that it didn't matter who transported the ark. It was the sons of Korath that were supposed to transport the ark, not, not him and his brother. Uzzah erred in thinking that it didn't matter how the ark was transported. Now, you've got to remember, this ark had been in his dad's house for quite a while. So he probably got real familiar with the ark and thought he knew what he needed to know about that ark. And he thought he knew just how it needed to be transported. But they never sought God first on how it was supposed to be transported. And then God had to be a man of his word. And do exactly what it said in Numbers 4.15. Uzzah erred in thinking that God couldn't take care of the ark himself. God will take care of it himself. Uzzah erred on thinking that the ground of Kadan's threshing floor was less holy than his hands. Maybe it's okay if the ark did fall. The Lord would have took care of it. But yet he, he acted in a way that the Lord did not see fit. And it says that David was angry with the Lord. But God had said that the ark should be handled by men, should be carried. So David should not have been angry so much at the Lord, but at his own sin and his own forgetfulness to seek the Lord first on how this should have been done. And in verse 12, it says, David was afraid of God that day, saying, how can I bring the ark of God to me? So David would not move the ark with him in the city of David, but took it aside into his house of Abed-Edom, the Gittite. 
the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom in all that he had. So we here see, we see David is getting angry with the Lord. Now he's afraid of the Lord. And he should be more afraid of his sin and angry with the sin that he had committed than with, his, with the Lord himself. Then we see that the ark going into Obed-Edom's house, he's blessed by the ark. He's blessed by the presence of God being there with them. I say, I think David knew it was important to bring the ark of God into the center of Israel. It's Israel's life. He wanted all of Israel to be excited about the presence and glory of God because of what happened to Uzzah. David felt he could not do what he wanted him to do. David felt inadequate at that moment. I don't think I can bring this in here. We just seen the death of one of our men because he touched the ark. I don't know what to do now. I'm afraid, I'm angry, I have every bit of emotion running through me. So David had to take a pause for a minute. And this happened for, what, three months that this ark stayed there before it ended up coming back into Israel. And, you know, just reading through chapter 13, God is interested in the process of things. We can't just go about just doing anything any old kind of way. He has a system. He, he is a, a God of order. And he wants things done certain ways. And we can go into his word. We, we can look. When we went through First Kings, when we were naming all the instruments that were going inside the temple and how things had to be painted a certain way or had to be laced in gold a certain way or it had to be a certain cubit or what have you. God is a God of order. And he, you can't just go about doing things for God any old kind of way. We need to search the scripture to find out exactly how God wants us to do things. There is an order and in, in a, in a madness, you could say, to, his, to what he wants done. And I think we need to also add that into our own lives as well. When we're at work, we can't just do work any old way. Like we used to say, it's good enough for government work. Yeah, that's, that's really a bad saying if you think about it. But we need to do things with integrity. We need to do things respectfully, and we need to do things the right way. Even when people aren't looking, even when our supervisors aren't looking, even when our people who work for us aren't looking at us, we need to do the right things as supervisors. We need to do the right things in front of our children. We need to do the right things in front of our siblings. We need to do the right thing, period. And we can learn a lot about what the Lord wants and what the right thing is, is by getting into his word. And that's what we see from chapter 13. All right, as we move on to chapter 14... We're going to see a little switch here, and we're going to see David kind of learned from chapter 13 to seek the Lord first. We're going to see him seek the Lord in this chapter and, and do exactly what the Lord wants him to do. And he's kind of learned his lessons as we transition into 14 that maybe seeking the Lord is probably our best bet. That's what we should do on every occasion. And we're going to see that with David here. In verse 1, it says, Now, Hiram, king of Tyre, sent uh, messengers to David and cedar trees with masons and carpenters to build him a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, for the king, uh, kingdom was highly exalted for the sake of his people, Israel. So here we see Hiram, who is from Tyre, sent Tyre's sending him all kind of things to help build a house. He had a respect for David. 
I don't believe that Hiram was, was, a, was a saved man. I don't believe he believed in Jehovah. But God allowed this relationship and this favor on David to happen. And I think there's a lot of people that we may see that are unsaved, that they, they have a, a drawing to us, an attraction to us. And Lord allows us to have these relationships with these people who are unsaved. And it's for a reason. He put them in your, in your path for a reason, to be a witness to them. So let's make sure when they're in, in our, our path, we're, we're being a good example of who Christ is and, and what he has done. And then it says that David, then it says that David was highly exalted for the sake of his people, Israel. David was a humble servant of God. He never wanted to get the glory. He, never, he didn't want it upon him. And if he did that at a moment, he would repent from that pride. And, and David knew that the only reason God had lifted him up was for the sake of his people, to be a blessing to the people there. So think about the situations that we may all be in. And we're all from all walks of life. We all have our own different situations, whether it's work, family, whatever. God has placed us in those areas of life. Not for us to be lifted up, not for us to be exalted, but for the people that are around us, whether it's our families, our wives, our children, for they can be blessed and taken care of. Maybe as our co-workers, maybe as a, a family member that has gone astray, we're there for them and in their lives to be a blessing to them, not for them to be a blessing to us. We're the ones who are saved. We're the ones who have the word of God and the truth of God. And we need to be there for them and be a blessing for them, just like David was to be a blessing for his people in Israel. Verse 3, it says, Then David took more wives in Jerusalem, and David begot more sons and daughters. And these are the names of the children whom he had in Jerusalem. Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, El-Pelet, Nagah, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Biliadah, and El-Felet. That's some children right there. <laughs> but he had many wives and he had many children. And a lot of people in that time probably looked at, looked at David and said, wow, he's having all these children. He's being blessed of God. But let's hold the brakes, because in Deuteronomy 17, 17, says, Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away from God. So did God allow David to have these wives? Yes. Did God approve of him having all these wives? No. And we'll see that later, later in David's life, and I know we've read through Samuel and we're Going, we're going to see more of it here, but David's bit, one of David's biggest problems were not necessarily the Philistines, but it was his own family that would cause him grief and heartache until, until he was on his deathbed. So there are things that God may allow in our lives that are sinful, and we may think we're getting away with it right now, but at some point, it's going to come back to haunt us. At some point, it's going to cause us grief and pain in our lives. So we need to be careful on the sins that we tread lightly in. 
because at some point it's going to come back and get us. God will allow you to go through things to grow your character and to grow who you are in him. But that doesn't mean he approves of those things. He'll use them as a tool to, to, to refine us and get us where we need to be. But don't think you're getting away with it because you're not. The Lord knows whenever we're, we're walking that way. So verse 8, it says, Now when the Philistines had heard that David had been anointed king over all of Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David, and David heard of it and went out against them. Then the Philistines went and made raid on the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of God, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? The Lord said to him, Go up, for I will deliver them into your hand. So when the Philistines finally learned that David was the king of over all of Israel, this is about seven years later because he was king of Judah first, and then seven years later he became king over all of Israel. They figured that he was the king of Israel. They started to make these attacks and making trouble for him. Now, he didn't have quite as much trouble with the Philistines as Saul did, but he still had the issues with the Philistines. But we notice that David, David at this point sought the Lord. What should I do? He asked him two questions. He said, he inquired, saying, shall I go up against the Philistines? Number one, should I go up against them? Is this your will for me to go against the Philistines? Is it your will, Lord, for me to take this job? Lord, is it your will for me to, I don't know, you name it, put a name on it. Is it your will, God? That's one of the first things we should do when we need to make a decision on something. Is it your will, number one? Then he asked him, after he asked about it being his will, he said, will you deliver them into my hands? Will I have success at what I'm going to do? Will you give me victory? I'm already asking what your will is. Now I'm hearing that, yes, this is the will for my life. It is the will for David to go up against the Philistines. Now I'm going to ask you, are you going to give me victory for it? And the Lord said he will. Two questions we can use in our everyday lives. Is it your will, and am I going to have victory over it? Am I going to have success in whatever I'm going to do? Constantly trusting in the Lord. David, at this point, was not trusting in his leadership, was not trusting in his generals, not trusting in his family, but he would go directly to the Lord and trust in them. And then the Lord would guide him and give him the answer on what it was going to be. If we look at this, too. David is now, and if we go back to, to a couple of verses ahead, when David had to go, the Philistines were going to start coming after him. The Philistines knew that he was the king of Israel and the enemy was going to come after him. And I think about people who are anointed to do things, whether it's here as, as a minister or, or as in service or whatever you may do. If the enemy sees that you are a threat, he's going to come after you in some form or some fashion. You're going to feel the heat start to turn up. But that's when we turn to the Lord and ask him, Lord, as you will for this or that. Lord, I have the enemy coming against me. Am I going to get victory from him? So just be waiting. If the Lord uses you in any kind of way, you, you will get attacked and you will have to face the enemy at some point. In verse 11, it says, So they went up to Baal 
Perazim, and David defeated them there. Then David said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, they called the name of the place Baal Perazim. And, they, and uh, when they left their gods there, David gave a commandment, and they were burned with fire. I like the way he says this. He goes on to say, he says, a breakthrough. I'm sorry, that's the wrong part. It says, God has broken through my enemies by my hand. God broke through the enemies. It wasn't David. David said, through my hands. He was the vessel and the tool that was used by God. But he gave credit back to God. We need to give credit back to God for all our victories because guess what? We did not do it. God had his hands in it. God gave us success. God anointed us for whatever. God gave us the wisdom. God gave us the financial ability. God gave us whatever it is to be successful in our life. And when that success and blessing comes, we need to turn it right back to him and and realize where our help comes from and where our provision comes from and where our victories come from. It comes from him, not from us. He uses us as tools, but the victory ultimately comes from him. And David is recognizing that here. And then it says that they, they, when the enemy fled, they left their idols, you know, or their gods. That's not too good of gods if you can just leave them <laughs> and run away from them. They're not too, uh, they're not too good. But I'm going to read real quick Deuteronomy 7, 5. And it talks about what the people should do with these gods or these idols. And it says, but thus you shall deal with them, talking about the people. You shall destroy their altars, break down their uh, sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images, and burn their carved images with fire. Going back to chapter 13, where he didn't seek the Lord first, and he didn't study to see how the ark should have been carried. It looks like David is now going back, understanding what needs to be done in the order in which God wants things done. Because what he orders them to do, to burn their idols. What did Deuteronomy say? Burn their idols. And this is exactly what David is doing. So David is starting to understand, I need to seek the Lord in everything I do. Lord, is this your will? Lord, are you going to give me victory? Oh, I see in, you, in your word here that you want us to burn the idols and deal with the people who, who worship falsely. And now David is, is, is doing that here in verse 14. He is following the ways of the Lord. And I, and I love David. I, I've said it before. David makes a mistake. He sees where he failed the Lord. In the very next chapter, he's, he's correcting that. I'm seeking the Lord. I'm seeking what his plan is. I'm seeking what direction he has for me. Because I've seen what happened. I learned from my mistakes. And we're all going to make mistakes and we, we just have to learn from him. And we see David doing that right here. So in verse 13, it says, Then the Philistines once again made a raid on the valley. Therefore David inquired again of God, and God said to them, You shall not go up after them. Circle around them and come, up, uh, come, up, come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, 
Then you shall go out to battle, for God has gone out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. So David did as God commanded him, and they drove back the army of the Philistines from uh, Gibeon as far as Gezer. Then the fame of David went out into all the land, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. So here we see David again seeking the Lord, doing the right thing, seeking the Lord first in this. But this time the Lord tells him something different. Don't go after them. I have a different way I want to do this. And that's the same thing in our lives. We may get an answer from God about a very similar thing that we're praying for. He could have answered it weeks, years, months before. But he's going to tell you how to do it a different way. Yeah, I have a different plan. This needs to be worked out different. Every battle we face is different. There may be similarities, but every battle we face is going to be different. And David could have not consulted with the Lord and could have said, well, I remember the last time I went against the Philistines. I remember the last time I had to go and battle them. The Lord told me to go ahead up, go against them. The Lord told me he was going to give me victory. It has to be the same now. I'm the anointed of God. I'm the king over Israel. God has me. I'm going to go ahead and go to battle. And I bet you if he'd never inquired of the Lord this second time, he probably would have lost that battle because he didn't inquire of the Lord. And how many battles have we lost in our lives because we didn't inquire of the Lord because we thought we knew what the Lord was going to tell us. But we were sadly mistaken and had to go back with our tail between our legs. Sorry, Lord. You know. But David sought him again. Even though he was facing the same enemy, he sought the Lord again. And he got, a, he got a new instructions on what he needed to do. One of the commentators I read to said that God wants us to use sanctified common sense and to wait on his leading. Sanctified common sense. That means the common sense is seek the Lord. That's good sense. Seek the Lord in everything we do and wait on his leading. And some of us have been waiting a long time for his leading in a lot of different areas. There's a lot of things I'm still praying for in my life that I've been waiting a long time for an answer. But the answer right now is just wait. Has it been yes or no? It's just wait right now. So in everything we do, we just have to use that sanctified common sense and wait on his leading and seek what he has. And that's what David was doing here. Then it talks about him going to these mulberry trees and waiting, waiting there before they go up on them to listen to the sound of basically marching in the trees. Now, isn't that odd sounding? Can you imagine that? What you would think, what David was thinking? So you want me to go sit here by these trees and you're going to want me to listen for marching in the trees. That sounds weird, but David did it. How many of us have had things where the Lord may have told us to go do something? Hey, Brandon, I need you to go here, and I need you to sit here, and I need you to wait on this, and I have no clue. Brandon, go back to Louisiana when you get out of the Army. What? That's not where I wanted to go. That wasn't in the plans. About eight years later, I'm starting to kind of see why I have come back here. Before that, it was crazy talk. Are you sure? Louisiana, we can't go to Texas. I can't stay in Hawaii. I can't. No, back to Louisiana. So that's where I did. 
But the Lord is, I'm pretty sure you can all think back in y'all's walk where the Lord has told y'all to do something in your life. And you're thinking to yourself, if you could physically see him, you would kind of look at him crazy like, are you sure this is what you want us to do? And I'm sure David had that same feeling. You want me to listen to marching in the trees? That's how you're going to signal me? But God knew what he was doing because he also said that God went before him to take care of his enemies. God was already working on David's behalf and on behalf of Israel before they even had to lift a finger to do anything. And God is working on behalf of each and every one of us. He has gone before us. He went before us on Calvary to make sure that we had salvation intact. He's gone before us in our plans, in our little small lives that we live. And every little detail he's taken care of. And just waiting to give you that answer. But you got to wait on him. You got to wait on his leading. You got to wait on his instructions. And he's going to give them to you. Amen. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this word tonight, Lord. And um, let us let us just be people of patience and just, just wait on your leading and your calling in our lives, Lord, and your will in our lives and what step to take next, Lord. I know often we want to rush and hurry up and do it. And you tell us to do things in certain ways and we think it's crazy, Lord, but we know that you know what is best for us. You know what's up, up ahead of us in the road, Father God, because you've already been down that road, Father. Uh, and we thank you for that, Lord, that we just, we can seek you, Lord, and that you give us answers, Lord. And some of us had to wait a long time for answers, Lord, but we know the answers are coming, Lord. And we thank you for that. We ask for a blessing over everyone here tonight. We ask for those who are not able to make it, that you'd uh, bless them as well, and that you would uh, keep us safe on the roads as we travel home. In Jesus' name, amen.